Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart. I'm very excited about our episode today. And uh, I've recorded a few in a row here, and I've, you've probably heard me say this already if you've been tuning in, but a pardon my hoarse voice, I'm finally getting over some cold that is not COVID. Um, so anyhow, pardon the hoarse voice. And uh, the good news is Shamik Ghosh, the co-founder and CEO of Trust Race, is going to do most of the talking today. Uh, very impressive guy, Shamik. It's been uh, pleasure meeting you and getting to know you and can't thank you enough. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Absolutely, David. And thank you for getting me to this session. Absolutely. And coming to us from Stockholm, Sweden. So it's not every day uh, that we have <laughs> European visitors on the show. So that's awesome. Uh, we like to just open it up, though, before we get into Trust Trace and, and really what your platform does. Just tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself and your background and how you ultimately came to found Trust Trace. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm uh, originally from India, but have been living in uh, Sweden for the last 14 years. Uh, uh, my background is largely in uh, software services industry. Uh, and for the four co-founders, we used to work uh, for, a few, uh, for a large IT services company for almost bet, uh, better part of almost uh, one and a half decades there. Uh, there. And uh, we got into uh, starting Trust Trace because we saw some terrible issues with the supply chain and the impact that these issues were having on the com on the day-to-day -day life of the people back in India uh, there. Uh, and we strongly believe that the responsible supply chain is not just for that particular industry. It impacts the the communities. It impacts uh, the global agenda issues a lot there. So I think with that in mind, we formed Trust Race. Uh, and specifically, we saw the pollution emanating from the largest textile hub in Asia, in southern part of India. Uh, which was polluting the water, fresh water sources and causing a lot of issues for the local population as well as uh, uh, the livelihood given to farming, etc. Uh, that uh, that was sort of the tipping point for us to get started with Trust Race. Very interesting. And um, I, I thought this topic was so interesting when I when I first learned about it because we hear a lot about the fashion and, and retail industry and um, how it isn't always real sustainable. So give us the ele elevator pitch. Tell us what does Trust Trace do and why it's so important? Yeah. So what we are doing is a, is a fairly fundamental thing that all businesses should know, but I think it is just the, uh, just that it has been neglected for many years uh, now that it is coming to the forefront. So what we do is, uh, we provide a software platform for fashion and textile industry to understand their supply chain. So we call this product traceability and supply chain transparency. In simple words, uh, using our platform, they are able to know at a product level who is the who who are the people behind it, how it is produced, where it is produced, and effectively 
they get to know the complete footprint of the product with what is the environmental social ethical aspects of it in this process they just get understand what the supply chain looks like which i think is always a very very good information for them to gather there uh Uh, and this we do using certain uh, deep technologies such as ai blockchain cloud technologies and apis uh, we are an enterprise scale platform so which means that companies which have real complex supply chains which are multi billion dollars have got tens and thousands of skus or product categories uh, they have a very very high return on investment using our platform Uh, but at the same time the platform can be used by small and medium sized brands also uh, there uh, typically we are helping them to reduce the manual effort by 70 to 80% and getting high quality of data in the platform there so that they can act on it very interesting so talk about how they re- they generate a return on their investment yeah so uh, two main drivers in the in the world that we are living so i think generally if you are a fashion brand you should be very very uh, you you should focus on the environmental social and ethical aspects of your supply chain a lot first of all consumers are demanding it more and more gen z's and uh, the new generation as they are coming they are making choices of product based on how transparently the brand talks about the how where and what part of the of the product part of it there uh, and this has got a different impact now you see lot of lawmakers and the regulations are coming so one was it earlier it was the consumers were demanding but now you have got a huge compliance risk if you are not complying to many of these uh, esg parameters there and you can go bankrupt if you do not have that uh, that is shape so with these two drivers the brands are under tremendous amount of pressure to first unravel their supply chain so at a product level they want to know who the tier 1 supplier is which is the main direct supplier and who the tier 2 supplier is for example for a particular jacket where is the fabric coming from coming from where is the lining coming from where the zipper is coming from where the buttons are coming from where is the padding coming from etc etc then tier 3 comes the next level then tier 4 tier 5 but at a brand level i think mostly they are struggling to even collect the data up till tier 2 or tier 3 there uh there so that is the first thing that the platform does second thing is once you know who the suppliers are you typically collect various uh we call it scope level so uh, scope level data or facility level data effectively that the facility is not causing chemical pollution there is no child labor involved uh, there is uh, ethical treatment of the animals going on etc etc so you have got around more than 100 plus parameters that you need to collect data on which means that there can be 100 different sources right from different ngos doing the activity or standards bodies or certification bodies uh, etc uh, doing these uh, kind of activities there the third thing that we ensure is material integrity because a particular product where it is produced is important but also you want to know that whether it is made out of organic cotton or recycled polyester uh, effectively more sustainable uh, materials there uh, and there's a lot of uh, 
mistrust going in that part of the uh, activity because people say that they uh, they people use conventional cotton and they claim it to be organic cotton so then how do we ensure that the true cost is reflected on the activities on the ground there so we in help these fashion brands to maintain a what in a very technical word called chain of custody at a at a product level in simple terms it is the credit and debit system implemented at up till tier 2 tier 3 where the material inflow is recorded material processing is recorded and material outflow is recorded in a simple accounting way there uh, so these are the three fundamental things we do we help them map their supply chain monitor the facilities and uh, 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 factories and then ensure material integrity and all this is done using a, a traceability or a digital platform uh, we work with a lot of ecosystem players we are not we single handedly cannot solve the problem so we typically are an open platform where we integrate with other different data sources like hig index like oar uh, and and similar tools we also at a at a uh, enterprise level integrate into a erp into a plm uh, so we typically are sort of the the repository of this information uh, in the in a in a enterprise landscape very interesting so i have what might be a a dumb question but some they say there's no dumb questions um who collects all the data it's a tremendous amount of data And so is a lot of that integrated from other partners kind of like you just mentioned or do you all actually go out and collect data? Now we collect a lot of data. So for example, for some of the companies so we are almost recording a million transactions a month wow. uh which is like uh, almost 3 million data points a month kind of a thing in the platform there apart from the other the third the, the uh the data that is sourced from third party sources also there. what are these data points right these data points will typically some supplier will upload a certificate for example if they have got a, a renewable energy certificate and they say that they want to claim that i am a, a carbon neutral or a carbon positive or climate positive kind of a facility they will upload that facility uh, that data and we will that check it and that data will be available to all the brands who are using them as a supplier right uh, such kind of information this point that i mentioned material inflow material processing material outflow it is done at a batch level so you will typically have a batch of cotton that comes in then you convert that into suppose uh, uh, fabric and all so you will typically record each of these transactions so there's a lot of data which flows in uh what you asked about data collection is the holy grail uh, i think a uh, digital platform is one part of the challenge which we are solving them but i think you have to run a lot of incentivization you have to build the trust with the uh, with your suppliers to share this data and uh, that is the uh, uh, that is the hardest part i would say why it is because uh, this industry has believed in commoditizing everything so effectively you do not want to know where the cotton comes in till the time it is cotton right whereas what we are doing with our platform is we are giving each platform that you each 
product than uniqueness. So we are just anti-commoditization, right? You want to know which farm the cotton has come from. What are the 15 steps has happened to for your t before your t-shirt, right? So that is what we are we are preserving the identity of that whole uh, material. Uh, so which means that first the brands have to earn back the trust of the suppliers because as of now it has been a one-way street brands have been sitting on a high pedestal dictating terms to the supplier now you want it to be a dialogue the supplier should have the capability of saying hey you know what for me to get this kind of a cotton or this kind of a polyester i need so much spend so much money so this is the true cost of production so it is a two-way street uh, so this needs a mindset change from brand side from the supplier side uh, also from the people who are in the lower tier of the suppliers also the people who are auditing it and all that so that is the hard part so what we do and what we have done is we were facing a lot of this issue that while the platform was there uh, brands were struggling in building this incentivization of the suppliers program so we have got some best practices we have brought out a playbook called uh, the traceability playbook uh, which i think is, is open source people can just go to our website and download it uh, there and we have co-authored it with uh, fashion revolution and fashion for good uh, so that it, it they have the industry voices also covered and uh, with this they get certain best practices but again when they start work any fashion brand when they start working with us uh, my team typically helps them to run a a complete uh, uh, supply incentivization program, uh, at least for the first few months there. Very interesting. It's so, you know, <clears throat> at Biostar, we're big fans of organic. We make organic fertilizer and um, everything has become organic. And I, I have, I have to say, I've, uh, I've definitely thought to myself, how do I know that this is really organic cotton? Um, how do I know? Right. So I think what you're doing and the traceability you talk about is so important to ultimately protecting that consumer and kind of keeping people honest. But talk a little bit about specifically in the retail and in the fashion industry, why this is really so important. Um, I think obviously you know, one of the things that comes to mind is single use fashion items, right? My, uh, my wife, she uses rent the runway all the time because she doesn't want to spend $700 on a dress that, you know, society says she should only wear once. Although I think that maybe that trend is changing a little bit. Uh, but talk about why this is so important, particularly in these industries and certainly any stats or statistics you have, you know, about waste in the fashion industry, I think is super interesting. So I think, uh, this problem, first of all, exists in all industries, right? Uh, I think uh, fashion has been pulled up because I think generally, I think it has been uh, seen as one of the greatest polluters, uh, which in a way it is right because of the scale of this industry, right? Uh, it is a one point, it is almost, uh, if you take the whole globe, $3 trillion industry, right? Uh, and the carbon footprint is high. And we have seen that in the last uh, decade, uh, as you said, the item, the number of times you use the item has gone significantly low uh, from high double digits. It has come down to low single digit uh, uh, there. So it is alarming uh, to see. And I think uh, after the multi-fiber agreement went away and the, uh, the, this went, people have uh, uh, 
used or misused the 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 production facilities back in uh developing countries to overproduce and in, th- in fact the whole economics works based on overproduction trying to oversell and overconsume right uh, and it is a very linear model uh uh it is yeah it was okay when you initially started doing it because you wanted to democratize fashion but now i think when it is it is overconsumption and this overconsumption is leading for you to let go of uh, scarce resources and virgin materials are becoming rare i think it is a time for us to correct these things there uh broadly I, i think i don't need to maybe there are much better sources of data but i think it has got a significant amount of carbon footprint it is a significant amount of impact on water intensity it has got a very high impact on local populations across the globe for their livelihood uh, the way the people are treated whether they are paid paid fair wages or minimum wages or living wages uh, all that debate if you talk about any uh, e environmental social or ethical uh, issue you will see the fashion industry gets drawn in right uh, and there are good actors there are bad actors there are very bad actors also <laughs> there we have to understand and the idea i think is there that we try to bring a change that people start assuming that we have to produce in a certain a minimum requirement way or and pay the true cost of production right and then of course you make a profit on top of it is perfectly fine and sust- i think there's a myth that sustainable garments tend to be paid a premium no i think the true cost of production of any garment is high at is at a certain level now some people try to cut corners and bring the true cost lower it is not right right so i think that is what the the whole uh, journey is uh, uh, from a fashion which is largely linear a fashion that just a uh, fashion industry which largely thinks about over production and over consumption we have to make a significant change towards circular business models we have to make the supply chains much more responsible and agree to pay the true cost of production at the so which is i think absolutely right thing that your wife does that uh, if i am just going to wear it once or twice why do i need to buy it i can always rent it uh, and it also feels good you you keep your footprint lower uh, and it also is i think is it's a nice way of using your uh, finances that way awesome so you mentioned something i want to circle back to later about this is an important issue for any industry but we're going to keep picking on fashion for a little bit here um talk about what well, one of the things i thought was so interesting um as i prepared for this episode and spoke with you was how many vendors or components can make up one single item a zip up jacket or or whatever it may be you sort of alluded to it earlier but talk about that talk how many vendors you know are are in my lululemon jacket or whatever it may be because I, i thought that was really fat the the number shocked me So I will I will put the question the other way around. How many? How uh, I will just say. So if I just take the bill of materials, how many line items will there be in a in a your Lululemon jacket? You think? Yeah. Well, and we don't have to pick on Lululemon specifically. <laughs> uh, Not Lululemon or any any winter jacket. <laughs> if I pick it up, uh, typically, and I, I think this was a uh, this was something that uh, uh, was shocking to me also because I come from a. 
in my past i used to develop software solutions for industrial products like generators motors and and aerospace engines uh, i used to think that that is real work of complex engineering but when i came to the fashion industry i thought oh, how difficult will it be we have to understand uh, a winter jacket has got at least 50 bill of material items this consists of a button a special zipper uh, a auxiliary zipper uh, 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 different padding different kind of lining different kind of fabric and all that kind of thing wow and think about this 50 plus kind of a bill of material items going bill, uh, tier 1 tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 right that is one aspect of it and then the other complexity is the volume right and aerospace engine is produced in thousands or hundreds actually not even thousands hundreds whereas a jacket is produced in millions right so if you multiply just this you're talking about tremendous amount of complexity and hence i think supply chain is the i believe supply chain in fashion industry is the most neglected part of the uh, of the retail industry there uh, a fashion industry uh, or most of the consumer product good industry they are living in a world in which they want to do d2c they want to do the best innovation that is possible for the consumer side of it they want to to bring augmented reality virtual reality uh, nfts everything but fundamental stories they do not know their supply chain where it is being produced how it is being produced and this is the this is the the bright and the dark side of the fashion industry or any industry for that matter right uh, there so the complexity is is immense when you are dealing with a uh, a a simple product and like a jacket also winter jacket also or uh, even if you take a t-shirt also i think it goes through a lot of checks and balances because you still have to ensure that if it is organic cotton or certain blend that you are using it is it is the right claim you are making for example i will give you maybe one more example uh, if you want to at a product level if you want to claim that this product has 30% organic cotton right which means that you need to have a, this accounting system that i was talking about up till tier 3 or tier 4 at least most of the brands don't have that right mm. as of now the 30% claim is broadly made okay in a year i i procured so much amount of t-shirts and so much amount of cotton so i just can claim that 30% uh, of my total production is organic and then i just extrapolate that and say that this particular product has 30% organic cotton it is not right because you you're not sure maybe this product has got 100% of organic cotton or mm-hmm. it can have 0% of organic cotton right so i think there's a lot of uh, uh, and i think the supply chain part of it has been has not been given the right focus which means that many of these terms are loosely used without understanding what it means what is what is going on in a consumer's mind when they are buying it and you can very well see that the amount of crackdowns which are happening on green washing claims is a result of that because consumers are saying come on i bought this t-shirt or this jacket assuming this and this is not true this cheating them I'm glad you mentioned the green washing. It's something we talk about on this show um uh, in a lot of different ways, but it it's something I I'm glad you mentioned the the fashion industry sort of getting caught up and accused of green washing. Talk about why you think that is and and how consumers can um 
How can consumers avoid or spot greenwashed products? How they can spot is, uh, <laughs> I think we have to use a lot of gut gut and intuition there still, I would say. Uh, I'm really looking forward to certain regulations like product uh, environmental footprint in, in Europe uh, to give us at least some indication about it. But I think as of now, it is largely d- driven by uh, us or any consumer being very, very aware. Uh, of it and I think demanding uh, the brands to share the complete story of this product uh, and with if if you do not know the story I think you should sh- sort of not go and buy from that particular brand it is as simple as that uh, there uh, we all know how to sense what is right data what is not so right data uh, and and I think that comes back to the common sense there Yes, greenwashing is a problem because I think it's a two. It is it is a two speed engine that was formed uh, because when when the fashion brands got, just got to see that uh, oh uh, sustainable products move faster, the return or effectively I can the velocity of sales increases significantly and all that. So why don't I just uh, make start making certain claims? And if you typically see around uh, three or four years back, most of the marketing. Uh, people, most of the people in the sustainability team were actually marketing and communication people. Very few were production people. Uh, and I think that was largely driven, okay, what are the things I can claim? So in one tag, you will say recycled, uh, 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 recycled packaging used and recycled will be big and packaging will be small uh, and all such kind of things. And these are uh, smart marketing moves, right? Uh, you have to give in and that happened, started happening because they did not want to go fundamentally go and look at the at the supply side of it or the production side of it. But once now the crackdown has happened, most of the consumers are going and asking questions. Uh, from a brand uh, I was talking to around uh, a month back, they mentioned that to their headquarters, they're getting on an average 10,000 plus request about data about product and this used to be less than 500 uh, two years back right so So people are taking the time to ask exactly one is people and retailers are asking so Mm -hmm. if because a retailer now think about it a retail shop is now known by the percentage of sustainable products they carry right now Mm -hmm. they are coming with their own criteria based on which they will call a particular product to be sustainable right of course uh, there's a lot of confusion on that and hence I am saying the uh, consumer needs to be very aware and alert, right? You, uh, that is, nobody can take that away. Uh, you may be supported by certain uh, labels, certain uh, accreditations, but you should not just take it as the face value. You need to be very curious and inquisitive about what is going behind this. And the best thing is, ask the brand. Can you please tell me which are the facilities it has been produced? Can you please tell me which are the materials have been used? How are you ensuring that the material is what you are claiming? What is the evidence process that you are evidence collection process that you follow uh, there? And it things will start changing. And there you will see the emergence of the truly sustainable brands uh, coming up. And yes, it is it is a different way of buying. And I think it is happening because now if you see most of the new generation. Uh, or the next generation people, they typically go online, they typically check the credential of a particular product, the brand, the, the aware consumers, and then they go and then only they order or buy it, 
right yeah uh, it is gone are the days when you just uh, you want to buy you get dressed for a party you walk into a store and then you buy that you nowadays do put a lot more thought behind it yeah it's interesting you know the generation this younger generation they've always had so much information at their fingertips and so exactly. they're not afraid to just look it up you know um what what the older generations might think of as sort of a simple transaction. I like the shirt. It fits me right. I'm going to buy it. Um, now it's, well, let's look at the sustainability report, right? I mean, it's just amazing yeah, I, I, that, that people really yeah. are taking the time to, to make those educated decisions. We talk about that in one of our episodes, one of our very first episodes with Jeff Fromm, who's a, a friend and a, really just a a genius marketing guy works for Barkley and we talk about the discerning consumer and that's certainly a trend that I think we've all seen growing uh, in the past several years or maybe even decade. Um, and, and you mentioned that it, it's the consumer driving it, but then you also mentioned earlier uh, there's now policy that's really driving that. So talk a little bit about some of the global sustainability standards and regulations that have come about or are coming about uh, and their impact you know, on this industry and others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was, uh, so I think many of these laws were earlier existing. It is just that I think suddenly they have been given a lot more executive powers to execute on these kind of things there. Uh, so for example, in the US, you have the CBP, which is the the forced labor law uh, that has typically shook the people because this law was existing earlier. It was just that now the custom officials are, are cracking, uh, putting a crackdown on anything, any garment, you have to prove that it does not have cotton coming from Xinjiang province, right? Uh, there. Then you have got uh, California Transparency Law, which has been existing. People have just started using that and implementing it. Uh, the new talk of the talk of the uh, the New York uh, uh, fabric or, or fashion law. Then you have got the glo- the uh, federal law on fabric and all that kind of thing has has started coming in. Fundamentally, they are all dealing with various aspects of forced labor or social compliance or environmental compliance. And now with this uh, new uh, bill or uh, act, I don't know, I think which uh, which came up because on, on, on supporting climate positive initiatives in the US, I think that is happening. In the U- in Europe, I think it started around three, four years back. And I think there's a step or two ahead of US. You have got various transparency law. You have the German transparency law. You have the French due diligence law. You have got the the UK uh, forced labor law, etc., etc., which has come in and putting a lot of pressure. So think about it. If you are a global fashion brand, right? You you have a same uh, product, but you are now trying to sell it in the US, in Europe, in fifteen different countries, and in Asia. You have to comply to so many different policies and laws. And these are compliance issues, right? As I mentioned earlier, I think uh, sustainability was a good to have. People will say, oh, fine, I, it feels good on my skin because I, I'm... I'm, I'm. Uh, so if you are a value-driven uh, uh, buyer, you will always say, oh, I, this fashion brand doesn't fit into my values, I will not buy. But now 
the 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 regulations are pushing you that you have to follow this minimum standard when it comes to environmental social and ethical aspects there uh, you know my last count when which is what we uh, we have, we send a newsletter about various laws that uh, are impacting the fashion industry in the last count we had almost 50 plus different laws and directives that they have to be careful about there wow. and now what we have started doing is that we are saying that if your particular product has got x number of materials you need to have collect so many different evidences so that that actually goes in hundreds then uh, there so if there's a lot of uh, 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 laws that are coming in and depending upon the countries that you source the countries that you sell and the countries that you produce your material out of there very interesting it sounds like probably uh, a lot of work for these brands who haven't been doing this and uh, now are are starting to track all these different types of things good work uh, but i'm sure you know a, a lot of work and um, obviously your platform helps sort of bridge the gap there and and make life easier right so uh, very very interesting but last kind of on uh, retail fashion you talk about the second life of a retail fashion product seems to be trending right now talk about a little bit expand on that and and why it's important it's very important i think um, you have to understand let's go back to how uh, your car right once you have a car uh, you typically you have suppose you have, uh, use the car for 2 or 3 years then you typically sell to a second hand store second hand goes to third and fourth and typically it's okay for a good quality car to run maybe around 300000 kilometers also right uh, there uh, uh, whereas when it comes to fashion product a well made fashion product typically can last at least up till 10 years right and of course the problem is we as human beings we get bored out of the particular fashion then uh, product and then the either the product is occupying my wardrobe or the product we just take it and just throw it and it goes into the landfill so in both cases the usable part of that product is very limited maybe less than 5% so we have to uh, open up the new areas in which this product can have a better usage and a, for the full life there and that is where i think recommercing reusing recycling is the way for us and in by if we just do the recycling in the proper way it and it we don't downcycle it for example not take a good quality jacket cut it into pieces and make it a bed uh, a bedding out of it right rather if you take that and you are able to convert that into with the information that you have you can just go back and put it in the right place where they will extract maybe 70% of the uh, polyester it has and then you can again uh, th- so this further reduces your pressure on virgin materials right so you have we have to start thinking circular there the challenge with circularity as of now is that it is seen as uh, as as a very very niche uh, thing it's some th- uh, it it has to become a mainstream thing so anything to with to with product we should typically say that it at least has a life of Uh, what it has been designed for, whether it is eight years or ten years, and it has it is having much more usage uh, per product. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you for that. And um, I am in uh, 
the baby phase of my life, Shamik. So I'm very grateful if any of my cousins who have donated us baby clothes uh, are, are listening today. Thank you because, uh, boy, those those little you know pieces of fabric that they fit in for two months that are sixty dollars that it adds up. So um, yeah, you mentioned earlier. It's not just the retail fashion industry. Uh, I think that's where a lot of your focus is, though. Are there other industries that you plan to sort of expand into? Yeah. So I think uh, so. as a platform, our platform can go into any industry. Uh, and I think typically if you look at traceability, of course, the adjacent industries is other consumer product good industry like furniture, like cosmetics, like uh, uh interiors uh, like carpets etc etc we have a we, we can easily expand into it it is largely soft goods oriented uh, or uh, kind of a thing there uh, while we do this we have got also other industries such as battery right battery is big now because the given the sudden surge in the increase in the or the increase in the demand for certain minerals and materials i think it is facing a lot of issues on this nature and it is it now has got exposure to certain conflict zones so i think there is a problem uh, similar to that you have got uh, 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 steel now because there's a high demand for green steel so how do you typically ensure that whatever goes in your industrial product is a green steel or not uh, diamond so there has we, we have known through the movies that uh, there is a clear case of lot of blood diamonds and all that so if you typically say all products uh, which has got certain amount of cautious substances uh, and this can be coffee cocoa uh, diamond uh, cobalt nickel whatever it is i think is is a ca- good case for uh, uh, product traceability and supply chain transparency there very interesting are there any uh, important partners or customers that you want to give a shout out to who who have you sort of been able to work with or leverage that have helped you grow yes i i always say that uh, we are a co-creation of uh, of the sustainability leaders in the fashion industry because we came from we where we came from we knew the that there's a need for data in the industry but what data how that data is can be collected and all so initial years we were very, very well supported by the uh, sustainable brands like Houdini, Philippa K, Iceberg uh, initial years. And then when we started getting scale, I think we have been very well supported by companies such as Adidas and Decathlon. Uh, and now, of course, we are working with many other larger brands uh, in this space. There. Awesome. Well, I really hope you'll stay in touch. <clears throat> I'm fascinated by what you do and, and your platform and, um, Really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. As we wrap up here, um, let our listeners and viewers know how can they find you online and get in touch if they're interested or uh, stay tuned with with what's going on. Sure. I think uh, I'm there on LinkedIn, uh, Shamik Ghosh, or they can drop me an email also at shamik.ghosh at trusttrace.com. I will send it across, then you can put it in the in your notes in the podcast Perfect. and uh, I'm there I'm there on the LinkedIn also. 
Perfect. Yeah, we'll include both the LinkedIn and your email in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Shamik or learn more, uh, you can do that easily. This has been another episode of Renewables. Shamik, thank you again for coming on. Fantastic and, and great work you're doing. I'm your host, David Smart, the Senior Vice President of Sales at Biostar Renewables. Thank you so much. Uh, shout out to all of our listeners and viewers who continue to help us grow the podcast. Uh, please click the follow or like button if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode and Shamik like I said don't be a stranger hope we can stay in touch and thanks again for coming on the show pleasure thanks a lot David excellent well this has been another episode thanks everyone Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. 